there are business owners who I have worked with in economy who just can't sort of they come from a technical background. They've had success. They've built a business that scaled to 10, 15 million, but the times were sort of easy and it was a solution for that time, but then they can't think to the next level. And then they start a slide backwards. And I think that's another reason that they never thought about the exit. They never thought about building the value in the business. They could solve a problem, but they didn't have this vision and the confidence to put that vision across and pursue it. Hello, Better Happy business owners. Welcome to the Better Happy podcast. I think we're on episode 34, 35. I don't know by the time this has been edited, but around that number. Uh, I'm delighted today to have Mr. Jean Moncrief. Am I going to write? Moncrief. Jean Moncrief. And we're going to be talking about how to build a business you can sell. And that's for big and small businesses. So it's something that everybody should think about. And that's a key theme that Jean's going to be taking us through today. So the big question is this, how do people-driven business owners like us create businesses we're proud of, businesses that work for our employees, for our customers, and for us, businesses that can be profitable without straining or draining the owner? That's the question that we'll be answering on the Better Happy podcast. John, get us started with a little bit of your story about how you why are you so passionate about this area and your kind of personal experience with it? Mike, thanks very much for having me on. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, so my career, it all got started back in the early 90s. And I was involved in, back then, in um, there was this sort of big movement for hardware equipment that around the world, the PC business had, had grown. So I got involved in computers and, and hardware and all that kind of thing. And we built a good business and ultimately I landed up falling into this new thing, which was the internet and mm-hmm. basically started to build what we termed back then database driven websites, which is effectively what WordPress is these days. Yep. Um, and it was like the late nineties or so. And I guess that the first real big crash for me, like when you think about some of the, the when they talk about the five D's of, of um, exiting a business, you have, death, divorce, distress, disability, and the fifth one, and the losing me, I'll come back to it. Basically, we ran into distress then. They, none of those uh, None of those sound very motivating. <laughs> but these things are going to happen. Are these the five <laughs> Ds to avoid if you don't plan to sell it? These are the things to, to build for, to make sure that you, you're, you're resilient against. Yeah. And we, we kind of got to one of those year 2000 bubble burst and everything just sort of all, all the big contracts and everything we had fell apart so I the wave the ride in the wave was no, no longer so easy the wave crashed and it was no longer so easy yeah it was an easy way for a while but yeah yeah we weren't prepared and we were young a lot of egos and yeah we crashed and burned it you know, had massive contracts around the world and all of a sudden they just evaporated so picked myself up and started to build more intentionally. And you think, you know, I've been through the ringer. I know what I'm doing this time around. And I was really focused on growth. So I started an information management business, mm-hmm. sort of physical document storage, document imaging, and some software element to it as well. And ultimately three businesses in a group. And I was chasing this 
the, the goal kind of kept moving. So first there's get it to a million, then to 5 million, then to 10 million, and then to 20 million. And we were just chasing the revenue number. And the team was getting bigger. And we did this through acquisition. So we were buying kind of smaller businesses and doing little deals to add to this whole group. Yeah. With the key driver being move the revenue up, move the revenue yeah. up, move the revenue yeah. up. But in, in that approach, a lot of the fundamentals of building like a valuable business just weren't there, of building something that's exit ready weren't there. So to give you an example, I hadn't built a really good leadership team. I couldn't walk away from the business for three months. I couldn't walk away from the business for three so weeks. So it's still very owner-dependent. Owner very owner-dependent. Yep. And, you know, on that topic of being over-dependent, we had one or two customers who made up probably 40% of the revenue. Yep. It was super exciting when we signed a bank, mm -hmm. but that bank brought a massive amount of business and we were scanning all the documents and storing them on the shelf. And suddenly the team went from 50 odd people to nearly 200 with part-time folks involved. And all of a sudden the whole dynamic of the business changed. Yeah. And now we were reliant on payments from those folks as well. So while you, you kind of wish for this growth, you become very reliant or you land up being over-reliant on a handful of customers or the owner themselves or one or two people as members of staff, you're just setting so, yourself up for trouble. So, so, so your first business, you, you were kind of riding a wave without any plan other than let's, let's have a business. And, and, and yeah. that is an important question. Like what, what drove you to, what drove you into business? Why were you doing it in the first book? You know, the first one and the second, what was the kind of driving force behind them? Yeah, it might, it might sound like a cliche, but I spent part of my life, uh, my younger life in the States. And I think it was a very powerful time for me. I, we moved over there and I was probably around seven, eight, nine years old. And the whole idea of the lemonade stand. So I had a lemonade stand. My brother and I set this thing up and we had the local neighbors and all our I feel like I'm just daddy. never going to be able to like really nail business because I didn't have a lemonade stand or sell <laughs> in the car park when I was young. It's like, it's damn, I don't lemonade. have that story. I didn't wash cars. <laughs> I didn't wash cars. Garage yeah. sales were another thing. We ran these garage sales over there. Yeah. Um, and then so you always had a kind of hunger to just make your own way and make, make your make own, my way. own way. My mom's yeah. license plate had live free or die. So this whole idea of freedom, in your, like New Hampshire, that wow. on the number plate was live free or die. And there was this entrepreneurial feel in the States at that time, in the late 80s. Oh, sorry, the early 80s, late 70s. Yeah. And that bit. Um, and it just stuck with me. Okay. So you had the kind of, yeah. So, so, so you had and clearly still have the kind of the taste for entrepreneurialism. And, and entrepreneurialism, yeah. And I've, I've, I think once you've got that taste, you can't get it out of your mouth. You know, I, I talk about when I, closed my first business and I've I found myself in what I class as the kind of the scene in the matrix where Morpheus is offering Neo the kind of the kind of pedal just after that because I felt like I'd, I'd escaped the matrix where I didn't I, I'd, I'd had a taste of life without a job where I was my own boss and I knew that's what I wanted to do but I'd also gone about my business in the wrong way which most of us do in our first one two three however many it is and uh so I'd got like my fingers burnt by having a business so I'm kind of like well, I don't want a job because that's not going to make me happy, no. but I don't want to have a business like that again, where I'm just working all day, every day and don't talk to my partner and I feel tired and miserable. So, so what do I do? I'm kind of stuck in no man's land. And, um, I think, yeah, if we're, if we're stubborn enough and, we, and we've got, and we've really got a flavor for it, it's like, well, you just got to figure out how to make it work because you're never going to be happy in a job. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it's sort of pick yourself up and keep going. And you're right. You, yeah. I think once that entrepreneurial spirit's in you, it's bitten or you, it's, it's inside you, it's very difficult to shake it. Yeah, definitely. So, sorry, I interrupted you. I hijacked your story. So, um, yeah. so first, so business number one, um, rode the wave, but that crashed and you just weren't yeah. really, you weren't really hedged against that. And then business number two, very, again, obsessive focus on revenue. So revenue. there's some, there's some benefits to that potentially, but also some cons as you've highlighted already. And I'm sure we'll dig into in this podcast. So obsessive focus on revenue, um, over-reliance on a few clients, lack of a leadership team. And I think what we're outlining here is the kind of structures of things you need in place to make your business sellable. Um, but what what did that actually lead to then in the end? So you build this business, it's growing, you've got big clients, making a lot of money, yeah. made acquisitions, but you've got lacking some of the core things that you've mentioned. What, what, where did that lead you to? So all of a sudden we started to get folks who are interested in the business. And I think there, there were some things that we were doing that were sort of grabbing attention. We, we did think differently and we were probably one of the first businesses to adopt these uh, interesting yep. practices from a company called HubSpot and inbound marketing and all those kind of things. So all of a sudden, the competitors stood up and looked at us and said, hey, what are these folks up to? And we had a lot of visits from them and talking about whether we'd be interested in selling. And I got to talking to a particular potential buyer and had never been through this process formally before. Kind of been involved in buying businesses myself, but I think almost done in a kind of cowboy way in that, I, between the buyer and the seller, we'd figured out what each other wanted and figured out a way to do the transaction yeah. without a huge amount of sort of money being changed. So yeah. decent sized business. And one example, Thomas wanted to move out and start cattle farming. And we figured out a way that I would take over the, the uh, sort of accounts payable in the business and he'd take the accounts receivable for a while. And I negotiated some time with the companies that were involved and managed to add 10 million to our revenue without having to fork out a huge amount of money to buy yep. the business. Yep. This was more serious. We're talking about a, uh, a business at 20 million, a lot of staff and looking at selling it. And once we started to get into the transaction, I realized that there wasn't as much value as I thought there was here. Okay. And yes, yeah, there were, we, we sort of got into building the LOI up and talking about this letter of intent to talking about what they were expecting and what I was expecting. And they wanted me there for five years because I hadn't built a leadership team and they wanted me to be around and to build a business. My whole goal was to get out of the business. Yeah. We talked about numbers, but as they started to look at the issues with over-reliance on, uh, on one or two clients, clients, yeah, yeah I, I was going to get penalized for that. So yep. the value of the business was, was going to come down. There was going to be an earnout in place. So I suddenly realized that this thing isn't as valuable as I thought. We'd done all this work to get the revenue up, mm. but I hadn't thought about what was actually attractive to a potential buyer. Yeah. And that's where you know I got the first real lesson in going through an exit process of selling a business. And this was a buyer that was much bigger than me. They were a, a public company. They did this regularly. They knew they knew the draw. So they kind of got us excited. Um, took us through all, all what we potentially be worth, and we're talking the big numbers. And then we actually got down to kind of working on the airline. And, and I think this is really important: is actually being very clear when when you get to, because the ally is not binding. But if you can, both parties can work out what you your sort of intent is, 
um, and you can kind of get some of those things done, then you've always got this sort of agreement to go back to and say, well, hang on, that's what we talked about. And that's what, and, and I think going through that process was really where I figured out the business wasn't worth what I thought it was worth. So what was the outcome of this? So, so the first business, you kind of, the wave stopped and you're like, oh, okay, that's, now we've got nothing. And then the second business was actually, you know, a decent size of revenue. You've had somebody start to express interest in buying it. So you've got excited about that and then gone through the due diligence and realized that actually it's not worth anywhere near as much as I hoped it to be. So what was the outcome in the end? So in the end, what I did was, I, fortunately at the time, um, I didn't have a business coach or mentor. I hadn't worked with anybody. Yeah. And I think this is really important that when you get into this exit process, you have somebody who can kind of pick up on those blind spots for you. Mm -hmm. What I did have and what I was a member of was a community called Small Giants. So we had some fabulous folks in there who had kind of been through this before. And there are a lot of systems inside that community. So if you've heard of the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, at that time, it was almost in its infancy. And uh, yeah. Rob Dubair. Made famous by the book Traction, right? Made famous by the book Traction. Yep. And Rob Dubair, I think he's either mentioned in Traction or in the other one, um, ah, get a grip, um, is the owner of Image One. He was part of one of the groups that I was in, in Small Giants. So he was talking about this EOS system and saying, hey, John, you should look at this. And, and this is Someone, Someone's already figured this out and they've written Someone's it down. Figured this out. <laughs> you know, we've got 20 <laughs> tools, we know what to do with it. And yeah, yeah. Off we go. Uh, Jack Stack was in the group and he wrote the book, Great Game of Business. And his whole system was about opening up your numbers to your staff. And yeah, he's, he's the father of, um, of kind of open book management. Yep. Bo Burlingham, who wrote Finish Big and, and the book Small Giants was in the group. So yep. I had these amazing people around me um, who were able to help me think about how to create the value. And essentially, we went back and we did that. We put EOS in. Yep. We, we self-implemented. In hindsight, I probably would have taken on a coach. Yep. We put a great game of business in and we did work with a coach on great game of business. So what happened is that the whole team and all my staff were now being educated on um, how the numbers work and yeah. what cash flow is and what a balance sheet is. And they started to understand this. Yeah. And I can remember one of my leads, Numpy, coming to me and saying, ah, we're not buying more decking for the shelving. The cash flow is not right. We, we can stagger it this way and we'll do it that way. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just me who was doing this anymore. The whole team was starting to pick up Serenes and run the business. Everyone was treating it like a business. Exactly. And through that process, which sort of went over about two years, we increased the value of the business. And ultimately, I ended up doing an exit, which was actually more of a management buyout. So the team that had been with me and had gone through that had said, John, we don't want this business to be sold to other people. We want to carry on running with it. And they took over the business. Um, and at least two of those businesses are still running today. So, you know, I um, got what I want out of it, uh, out of it. They got what they wanted. I used that to move to the US and to relocate into, into Denver and to get into something completely new. And that's kind of what led me to where I am today with working with. So how much, how much uh, off the top of your head, how much did the value of the business increase by you implementing those things? It's a really good question. Um, 
So when we started talking to the folks that were going to buy the business, we kind of thrown around models on EBITDA and all that kind of stuff. And our, yeah. our profit wasn't fantastic. We were kind of coming out somewhere around sort of 4 million on the exit. Yeah. Ultimately, when I worked it out with the staff, because we had three separate businesses, mm. those, those figures were much larger to the tune of probably, yeah, well, I, I would say we, we sort of three times the, the yeah. value of the business. And they were structured it, slightly differently because it was kind of the way it was handed over and, and yeah. done. And, and to be clear, that 4 million was what we came up at the top. After everything had been whittled down, it was a hell of a lot less and it was earned out over a period of time. Yeah. So that, that yeah. But so perhaps that's something we'll talk about today as well. You know, just just what does what does an actual buyout look like? And there's a few ways that can look. And you know, if you're a business owner thinking about, okay, yeah. can I sell this thing? You know, when I eventually leave this thing, what what could it look like? You know, could it just be a clear, here's some money, go and live in the sun, or is it you know going to be more likely to be something else? And what are the factors that are going to dictate that? You know, what's the value of the business? How much is the owner actually going to get? I think these are all. Very really yeah. important things to understand, but not not difficult, not easy questions to answer. Because you know, as Bo Bo Burlingham, as he as he talks about in Small oh, Giants, yeah. he, but he's like the the kind of knowledge, the amount of knowledge that's out there and information that's out there about growing businesses and structure is plentiful. But when it comes to well, how do you actually leave the thing, which is one of the only things that's guaranteed in business as well as your taxes, uh, is 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 um quite scarce, really quite scarce. So something that's definitely worth thinking about. So. Okay, so your story is is that you you know you you you've you've been in, involved in business for a long time. You've had you've had that entrepreneurial flair since from a very young age, and you you know you got burnt really, especially with the first business because you just didn't even think about it because it's just business for the for the fun of business. And then the second one was business that's make as much money as possible, as much revenue as possible. But but then realised that actually, well, actually, just aggressively focusing on revenue is not doesn't create a good business. So you figured out, right, okay, I've got to fix this and, and look and well not luckily, you know, you create your own look, but put yourself in, in a circle of the right mentors and was able to implement some of these things to to the transformation of the business. And I'm and I'm assuming the the performance of the business improved through this as well when you implement when you implemented all of these massively. I mean you know the profitability went up, the performance improved. I think you you sort of hit on something a little bit earlier as well, which is really important. I had no idea what that number, what what my number was when mm -hmm. I was selling that business. So that kind of figure of four or five million was in my head. And when I got to negotiating with with this company, and once you started to kind of move past the LI, that number quickly went down and was tied to earnouts. So I think it is so important that you understand where you want to go post-exit. So what's your next move? Is it I'm winding down and I'm retiring. How much money do I need for that to leave? leave you just made me feel very good about the, the Better Happy Business Club um, module. I have a shameless plug here, but one of the modules in the first part is what's your number? You know, that's what's that's, And most business, I know, I know from personal experience from myself, but also with the business owners I work with, it's just kind of like, what's the number? What, what, what's the end game here? And we're like, we, we have never thought about it. And ultimately, you're the owner, you're the person that's driving the action of the business, you know, normally through a team, but you don't know what your number is, then how do you know how to make decisions? How do you know how big you want your company to be? How do you know what kind of clients you want to go after? So 
I think you, you, you have to go through this transformation of I'm yeah. in the business because I want to make a difference and I just want to help people. You know, that's that's going to have to transform to <laughs> I'm in a business that needs to finish at some point or I need to be able to leave it. And there needs that there needs to be some numbers behind it, which means I can't just help everybody. I've got to think about what clients yeah. I want, how many of them we want, what we're going to charge them yeah. and, and start to get specific on those things. You can only do that if you know what your end state is. Exactly. And so, I just had thought that through. I just so, want to so, pass at that time yeah and this is the right so you're going to get to that point in your business where you either have to leave or you want to want to leave and if you don't think about this stuff it's going to be difficult um okay so let, let's start with why why is it important that business owners should think about this and i, I know we've just kind of covered that but what if you if you had a room of business owners listening to you now via this podcast then and they're maybe not fully bought into the notion of thinking about buying their business. What kind of advice would you give them to make them prioritize this? So we touched on the five Ds earlier. One thing is certain, as you said, you're going to leave the business. And very often it happens as related to one of those five Ds. So there's divorce, you, you go through life, you, something happens, you split, and the business has, you have to sell the business part of that, or, or the business is affected in some way some kind of distress we've just been through COVID. um for us our business we went through y2k straight into 2001 y2k bloody hell yeah remember those days Um, millennium bug (laughs) disability yeah you get t-boned at an intersection and and you can't walk or you can't write or whatever death you know the ultimate it's over the worst of the d's death and i suppose I suppose if you leave your business because of death, that your lack of planning doesn't really bother you too much. But your family, your, yeah, your, your yeah, employees, yeah. You, you have, so and it can be very sudden. You know, you you could you could be gone in it or you're gone in an instant, and so often you just don't expect it. So if you're young, you've got a family, you want to make sure that there's some continuity as an entrepreneur to whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, so those five Ds are. Are critical of things that happen and you've got to be ready for them so so what you're saying is you, you, you as a business owner you should definitely think about and plan for leaving your business because you're not going to have a choice like it's going to no, happen no and, and, and it's, it's either going to be it's either going to be on your terms or well you know yeah. you've done your due diligence to make it as close to your terms as possible or it's going to be on less comfortable terms and you, you're going to end up with a shoddy deal or no deal that's it why do you think most business owners and I and and I truly believe this. Why do you think most business owners don't think about this until they need to? And for anybody that's listening to that, going, "Oh no, I think most business owners do think about this." I, I don't think they do. I think we see the ones that do really well, and you know, the people that have these amazing exits, and the the twenty five year old that's you know got, made their twenty million before before they reach thirty. But the reality is, I think that's the 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 minor of the, the very small percentage of the businesses and most businesses are just run by normal people with a lack of um, entrepreneurial experience in the families. And they just, you know, they build these businesses that are great. They've got great little services or products, uh, but they've never thought about exit because nobody's ever talked to them about it. Or, or I don't know. What, what do you think is the reason? That is a really good point and a really good question. Um, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've spoken to just say, you know, I'll get to that later. Right now, I've got to build a business. Yeah. Um, you know, it's about the day-to-day stuff. It's, uh, that, I'm not thinking about doing that right now. It's, 
it's not it's not on my radar. Just you know, right now I got to I got to make payroll or I got to get this done or um, we need to generate more leads or whatever. I'm not thinking about exiting right now or yeah. I'm loving the business. I'm never going to not love the business anymore. I've heard that a few times. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely love it. Speak to the same person five years later. It's, you know, I've had enough. I want to go back to one of the CEOs I worked with wanted to go back to running a barge on the lakes in Canada, running rubbish from rich people's homes and reselling the stuff like big TVs and whatever because he just had enough of the whole tech scene. Didn't, didn't, didn't want the stress. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you, it's exciting so, and it's a challenge and you build it. Yeah. You're not thinking about the end game. You're not thinking about finishing. So when I teach in the business club, in the Bad Happy Business Club is, and it's a very simple, it's, it's, it's an oversimplified model, but but I say, look, think about it in four stages. So startup, then I say you're in the slog phase, although it might not feel like that. It might feel like the success phase. And then you've got scale. Uh, uh, sorry, then you've got systems, and then you've got scale of sale. And the, re the reason that's important is because I highlight to people the journey I went through the first business, which is, you know, I got really depressed with my first business, probably the most depressed I've ever been in my life, which I found really fascinating. Not at the time, I found it really miserable at the time, but after I found it fascinating. Um, but, you know, I've done some tough jobs. I've been in the military. I've served in Afghanistan. I've worked on fishing yeah. boats. And, and I, I never really suffered with my mental health. You know, I didn't have the worst tours in Afghan or anything like that. But I got tired, but never really suffered with excessive stress, although those jobs are very demanding. But then I had a business and then like five years into my first business, I was just shattered and I was, but and I, I was unhappy and I was miserable. And I know it's because I started with an attitude of in the start phase, this is exciting. It's my thing. I get to, I had a gym. I get to coach people. I get to make a difference to people's lives. I'm my own boss. I can go on holiday when I like, well, that would have been nice if I could, but I couldn't. Um, so, so you're driven by motivation at that stage. So that's great. But what you've got to realize is that that's a sprint phase, right? You're not that, that level of motivation that you've got that yeah. drives you to just work all the hours God sends and not pay yourself and whatever else you need to do to get your thing off the ground. That's not going to be sustainable long-term. I no. think so many business owners stay, think that they, well, I'm, I'm excited and motivated. I'll be my own boss. I don't mind working all the time. You're like, yeah, but that's going to change two years in, three years in, four years in when you've had another kid or when your bills are coming in, you're like all very soon that level of motivation, you're actually going to get resentful if you're not getting what you want from the business. So as you go through those different stages slog is i think the slog phase is when you've got a, a level of success you've got a small team around you or maybe even a big team but the business is still reliant on you i think that's where most business owners get stuck and the reason i call it slog is because it's still reliant on you and then it's systemized right yeah. which is what a lot of what you're talking about and i think most business owners aren't very motivated by systems at the beginning no it's, yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> systems I mean, like you by the beginning yeah I want, I want to be my own boss and like make a difference to people's lives like i don't want to sit here and write systems so then they get stuck in slog phase but without those systems you can never free yourself from the business so you just get resentful of it that's what i see and that's yeah. what i experienced i think people you, just you come from a military background being in Af afghanistan where you're working with a team and i imagine in you know pretty rigid systems yep i, I imagine you have some but you kind of come from that background where a lot of us entrepreneurs who haven't had that maybe rigidity or, or had that exposure to having systems come in and we're kind of next shiny object thing and all over the place. <laughs> and even with that experience, I I didn't make the jump fast enough. I stayed in that phase and and uh, I actually neglected the systems and that that how I, mean, I got. I, I mean, I had some other issues as well, which we could talk about today because I think um, a lack of self belief is one as well. Like, why would you not think about the end goal? Perhaps you don't believe you're going to get there. 
you know why if you're going to start a business make a difference to people's lives but you want to make some money from it otherwise just get a job because why have all the stress of having a business and i think a lot of us don't you, believe we're going to make that money so we just don't even think about it or i'll just focus on being busy you touched on something really interesting there as well is, is this confidence to, to think big and, and think about that's where i'm taking this business and to ready the folks behind you and then there are business owners who i have worked with and kind of do who just can't sort of they come from a technical background they've had success they've built a business that scaled to 10 15 million but the times were sort of easy and it was a solution for that time but then they can't think to the next level and then they start a slide backwards and i think that's another reason that they never thought about the exit they never thought about building the value in the business they could solve a problem but they didn't have this vision and the confidence to put that vision across and pursue it yeah and solving I, a problem is such it's 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 just part of it right i think yeah maybe we think oh if we can solve a problem that's it right that's it we've got we've got an idea we're going to be the next netflix and but it's just part of it you know you've got to build it, yeah. the engine right you've got to build the whole thing around it as well i mean the work that you're doing and the podcast and talking about these things i think is is building awareness mm. about the importance of thinking about exiting now so when bo wrote the book um, I'm, I remember we were all sitting at Zingerman's and Bo had spoken to us about writing the book and he's, we were talking about titles and he was showing us the covers, I think, at the time. And at that time, there was almost nothing about exiting. Yep. I think we're almost a decade on now and there's so much more sort of talk about building a more valuable business and exiting a business. But I think the thing is that a lot of that has been driven by the sort of Silicon Valley hustle, the hack, you know, build this thing up, create a unicorn, exit it, walk off with millions. Yeah. And the real entrepreneur, the person who's bootstrapped a business and worked hard for 20 years, this doesn't resonate as, as well with them. And, and they're still, yep. how do you, how do you do that? Probably? Like Instagram, right? It's like you, you want to get healthier and you go on Instagram and what you see is con like, loads of women with yeah. nice body parts that's the most pc way i can put it you know with no clothes on and loads of guys that are absolutely jacked and and they all live on boats in dubai and you're like all oh, right okay that's 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 what it means to be healthy but the reality right. is that's the that's the one percent and that's not what you want to look like anyway and that's not even a picture of health and i think you know for a business owner we we go on the internet and we see all these crazy successful unicorns and all this other stuff and like, oh man that makes me feel pretty crap about my thing and my thing's never going to be sellable and you know i've been grafting on for 20 years and then we don't feel very proud of our businesses but the reality is it's just what you're seeing on the internet is the the one percent it's not the reality yeah. and then that can leave business owners i think stuck in a place where they're like oh, i'm an accountant you know I've, i can never sell this thing so i'm just stuck here and that's the way it's got to be and unless i unless i'm you know becoming the next google it's not going to work so so that, I think that's really fascinating because I because I kind of wanted to move on to that, John. So I kind of wanted to think about like internal and external barriers, but you know, most of the people that I work with are not not only, but most of the in the business club is small and medium businesses, and often it's bootstrapped owner that started that business themselves. You know, getting into their late thirties, forties, 
still they do like their businesses they do care they got they really care about their teams but they are just getting to the eight and and i would say they're not profit driven business owners which is a challenge in itself i think i think you've got profit driven business owners who you know very naturally good at business and very good at focusing on a number and building the business that hits that number but i think you've got tons of what i call people and purpose driven business owners who almost neglect the profit side of it yeah and I don't want to say neglect as in they're negligent, but, you know, just don't give it as much attention as it deserves to try and deliver the best service and try and look after their team. And, and obviously like, we know that you, to do that, you do need to make profit. But I think there's a lot of these business owners that, you know, they, they, they build these businesses, they, they've got teams, they, they, they're proud of what they've done, but they kind of get, they're now getting to the age where they're like, you know, I would like to work less or potentially leave this thing. But my thing isn't a unicorn can I still turn this into something that's sellable? Can I make a, you know, a decent amount of money that I can retire on? What are your thoughts around there? And and then I suppose yeah. what we need to think about is strategies and tactics, right? And I think you hit on something important there as well. A lot of us business owners basically minimize profit and kind of run the business almost as, you know, and, uh, to well, be in a way or ATM or, or whatever. So, your first thing, if you're thinking about selling, you got to think about, and you should be thinking about selling from day one. But hindsight's it, a wonderful thing, John. Sorry, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yes. <laughs> so start. If, if you're listening to this now and you're starting out, start thinking about the exit. You know, building the value now. You. But if it's twenty years in, don't stress. <laughs> yeah, don't stress that. I mean, like. 20% of these businesses that actually go to market ever sell, you know, the rest just get wound up. That's uh, so the business, business exit institute. But, That's an interesting statistic. Yeah. And, and, and of all the businesses that are going to get listed for sale, around 20% of them are sell. So if you think of all the small businesses out there, which make up the majority of our economies, only around 20% of them are actually going to sell. Why, why do you think that's, why is that, Sean? Because they haven't thought this through from the beginning and they haven't built the value. And back to what you're saying about kind of thinking about things like building profit, being a mm -hmm. profitable business. We've treated the business as, and I know I was guilty of this with my business, was, you know, family holidays, there were cars in it, there were all sorts of other things. And instead of focusing on building profit, it was kind of how do we minimize tax? Yeah. So I think, if you, you know, when you start thinking about exiting, the first thing you got to do is start thinking about getting the house in order. And this can take, three years i mean if you if you've been doing it really well up to now fantastic you can move faster but when a buyer looks at the business they're going to want to look back three years and say you know what do the financials look like what are your budgets like? i really like that i think that's a really good uh tidbit to take from this podcast you know what's the kind of gold nuggets and one is get your house in order and and, and that order. is probably going to be a three-year period so you know, if you haven't been doing this stuff and you've got to the point where you're like, okay, I want to get out of this. Well, if you haven't done your, your due diligence, then the reality is you're probably going to have to, you know, just get in the right mindset to, 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 to do the work over the next three years to get that to where you want it to be. Cause just, yeah. just trying to just go, right, I've had enough. I'm leaving. Probably isn't going to leave you in the best situation. So I, lo I love that. I think that's really interesting. So three start, years. Start now, start cleaning up, get it sorted out. Um, you know, whether it's, the IP in the business um, or the shareholding or the, the, the accounting systems and structures. Yeah. Maybe you have 
QuickBooks and you move to something else and the set of accounts are different, make sure everything's cleaned up. Just if you do one thing right now for the next few years and just kind of cleaning the whole thing up, because when you get to having that conversation with a potential acquirer, straight away, they're going to start to want to talk about your numbers and you want to be building trust from day one. So everything's nice and clean and there's no skeletons. So you've kind of got rid of those skeletons over the past three years or so. You're off to a relationship that's already built on trust. You can say, here's what we budgeted for the last three years. Here's what we achieved. You can see that we're on track. We're projecting this. You guys investing that in the business and, or bolting it on as a strategic uh, sort of acquisition can quite easily get to there. And it's based on this real solid foundation. So get your do, house. Do, 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 do you think if you, if you, you know, if you follow the right process and you, and you get your house in order, is there, can you sell a business in any industry or is there any industries where you just kind of like, you know, no, it's really hard in this industry. You can't sell it. Cause I know a lot of business owners will think, well, I used to have a gym and I remember I was I, at the time, and I, I think differently now, but I would think this, this is never really going to be sellable, you know, like maybe another gym would acquire it because of our members. But do you, do you, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? So the short answer is I think that any business is potentially sellable, but you know, timing is going to play and is it the right time for yeah, of course, yeah. a certain yep. type of business? Are you going to get the real value? Have you video, video hiring isn't doing very well anymore. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's, I mean, they missed the boat, didn't they? <laughs> they did a little bit. I'll block this stuff. Bless them. Pretty buy it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a, a good example of this is you think about a lawyer or accountant you were talking about. Um, I can't remember where I heard this quite recently, maybe through a similar network grid, where an, a, a lawyer moved to Australia and essentially he couldn't practice in Australia and would have cost a fortune to become a lawyer in Australia. So what he did was hire the lawyers and started a business, hired the lawyers, built up a law firm that is now highly profitable. So I think there's the opportunity to sell any business. It's really just about how do you make it valuable in the eyes of the acquirer. So yeah. how do you make this thing something that somebody else wants to buy? It's like if you're making a product, how do you package your business up? So, goes, so, my so, guy, I want to buy this. Yeah. So I think something that's going to be really useful uh, is to, to let's run through some of those things, you know, that, that make a business valuable. And then I think we probably all know it intuitively, but it's good to hear it. And But the other thing, maybe before we get to that, is I know this is a difficult question. What what about numbers? So let's say that I'm a business owner. You know, I'm 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 in my late, well, I am in my late thirties or late forties. You know, whatever it might be, and I've had my business for a fair few years. It's 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 I've got a team. It's it's performing pretty well. Where do I even start on numbers if I'm thinking about okay, right? I'm, I potentially want to retire from this. I've worked hard to build it. You know, it's paid me, paid pay me well and give me a lifestyle. But but let's say. I want to retire on a million pounds, which is, you know, probably going to get me two holidays in the climate in the in the economy in two years. But let's say I want to let's say I want to retire on a million pounds. What do I need to start thinking about for that? Does it need to be turned over a million? Does it need to be turned? I know because I know we think have things like multiples. I've had a brief chat with different people, and they kind of like, well, after uh, after you're profiting a million, then the the whole kind of realm of exit possibilities change but before you're profiting a million because there's plenty of businesses you know that good little businesses that turn over just turn over two hundred thousand, half a million a million so they you know they've got less profit so what kind of ballparks do you have to start playing and think about like these numbers and yeah 
very good question because obviously the the lower the turnover and the lower profit is, the lower the multiple is. Right. You're right. As you, as you go over a million, you sort of start, okay, well, I'm potentially something that I could acquire. But going back to your your first point, like you want a million, you want to retire on a million. Yeah. And you then got to reverse engineer it and say, well, okay, I, I want I want to get a million out of this. How's that going to be possible? And there's probably a conversation to be had with no matter where you are at the moment, if you're at half a million or eight hundred K, there's probably a conversation to be had with an expert in that space. So whether it's a broker or an MA, a person yep. depending on where your revenue is on exactly what your, your multiple is going to be and EBITDA. And then you, you're going to have that range. You know, okay, if I want to exit at a million, you know, a million in my pocket, I probably need to be at 400K revenue because I know my multiple is going to be two and a half or something. So it takes me right. a little bit over. Some tax I've got to pay as well. So you got to, so there's a conversation to be had about what's the, um, what's the math behind this? Yeah. Then you've kind of got this baseline and you say, okay, well, how do I really drive the profit up now? So the other thing that acquire is going to be looking at then is, so we've got two businesses, both at the same amount, look exactly the same. In business A, the owner is still involved, everyone running everything. In business B, the owner is less involved. Business A, there's no recurring revenue. Business B, there's a nice stream of quality recurring revenue. They're profit, you know, both profitable, but I've got this really good recurring revenue here. I can mm-hmm. see that I can grow the business. Yep. I was working with a business recently that's at uh, trying to, their main target is like, let's get a 50 million, get a 50 million, and then we can get uh, private equity. But they're forgetting about well, where's the growth for the private equity afterwards? How, how What's attractive to them? So is there some growth potential, real growth potential for the new acquirer? Because that's what they want to do. They want to take it to another level. So the, the, there's this kind of baseline number, which I think a good thing to do is work that out with an accountant, tax professional. Somebody in the industry can really help you nail that number. Yeah. Mike knows that he needs a million to retire or to go into his next business or whatever he wants to do with it. So where do I need to be? And then it's like the gym, get the business in shape, uh, get a high uh, customer retention score, the NPS score, that often drives up the value of the business. Is, so is there a, so, something you said that's interesting that I've, that I've noticed from, from my own research is that obviously the, it's compounding, right? So the, so the higher the profit, the the higher the multiples, and but the lower the profit, the lower the multiples. And I, I, I did some geeking out on accountants just, just, because I find that interesting because it's a relatively okay, all my accountant friends are going to ha- hate me now, but a relatively boring industry. Right. And people think it can't be, you can't build a unique business in accountancy. That's valuable. But I, I think you can, and I think it's proven, but um, a relatively boring industry in, in my opinion. <laughs> Sorry, accountants. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did some geeking out and I, I did find like a website of a guy that was basically the guy that helps people sell accountancies. So I'm going to give him a plug here, but I can't remember his name, but there is a guy and he like, he's like, he's like the accountancy seller guy or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's probably, probably not that exact name. Uh, if it is, he needs some help with his branding, but I had, I found some, uh, like he had a list of accountancies essentially. And his kind of methodology was, people will buy your accountancy to acquire your accounts basically. So they can just add it into theirs. And what I noticed was that the ones that were under half a million in turnover. So maybe the ones that were under 300 actually were basically selling for their turnover. 
Yeah. So if you turn it over 300 grand, that's the price they're asking. And I don't know what, I think that the exit strategy for that was maybe not as clean as you want it to be either. Cause I think that's another thing to consider, right? It's obviously if it's really well oiled and got decent turnover, you can almost sell it private equity and just get out of the way and they'll do what they want with it. Whereas if it's not well oiled, it's kind of like, well, you're going to get some money for it. And you're yeah, going to have to hang out after as well. I mean, I, I imagine in that situation, what he's doing, and I, you know, just taking a, a bit of a educated guess at this, is that essentially what's valuable there is the sort of assets in that business. So yep. pull owner and all that up, your real asset is your client list. Yep. So you, you're kind of maybe rolling up these accountancy groups into, into something else. And... And at that stage, you know, the turnovers are 300K a year and they're kind of doing a deal based on that number because it's not really profit. I think you're probably looking at seller discretionary earnings and that kind of thing. And yeah. It's so it's a whole different ballgame and it's really okay. going to be something that's attractive. So I mentioned if that business had fantastic client base um, and, and it, a good sort of reputation in the market, it might be more attractive to somebody who's trying to acquire clients and build up yeah. a, a bigger law practice. And okay. that may be the process. So, so would you say there's like ballpark um, categories you can, I know, and again, I know it's hard to do because it's so generalist and it's so, but, but it's actually so specific to each industry. But so could, so just from what I've geeked out on, it's kind of like, well, if you're making over a million in profit, then all of a sudden you're kind of in this playing field. But before you're making yeah. a million in profit, you're in this playing field. And before you're making half a million in turnover, you're in this playing field. But then between half a million in turnover and a million in turnover, you're in this playing field. Now that's obviously not accounting for how many clients you've got, how, you know, how many of how many new clients you generate, and all the things we'll talk about shortly, how how well organized the business is. But just from a revenue perspective. Or is it just completely impossible to even be general with it? I think there's a, a kind of danger in being general, too generous with it. So when you're talking about that million and you're looking at the EBITDA, you, you could sort of be around two and a half times multiple. Yeah. But maybe if you're a web design business, you're actually at 1.3. And if you're a... a um, in demand manufacturing type business, you're at 3.8. So this yeah. is very difficult. What we could do, I mean, I, I could, there was actually a really interesting report that came out yesterday talking about how the average had moved up, um, that, that average multiple had moved up. And I could share that with you and put in the show notes. Cool. But yeah. It is, it's kind of dangerous. And I, I think, um, I'm with you. Yeah. It's too, it's too, there's too varied. The other, it's, it's too reliant on the other factors to be able to generalize it with a turnover number. Yeah, which makes sense. You know, I've got a book from a guy called Alan Weiss. He's called the Million Dollar Consultant, and he's got this yes. book on you know how to make a million dollars as a consultant on your own. So on revenue, he's kind of like, well, it's 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 a million dollars. You're like, okay, that's interesting. And then you look into it, and it's like, well, it's one guy consulting, so yeah. that's not a sellable business because there's nothing to sell. So I guess, yeah, okay, I, I'm with you. So I'm, I guess what you're getting at is it's just like this: the other variables are so heavily weighing in on it that it's dangerous to 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 be generalist and really the only way to get some clarity is to to either speak to somebody or do one of the online forms i mean i had somebody reach out to me on linkedin actually this week it's like 
I thought that's really weird. You know, it's like because I'm doing this podcast with you. And they said, "Oh, we do. We offer we offer a free, quick business valuation." Um, so you do have specialists doing it as well, and I guess they plug it into a, a variety of factors, of which some maybe we'll highlight now. I think it's, a lot of them are potentially looking for deal flow as well in these things, where they kind of are out there looking to because this acquisition entrepreneurship has become quite a big thing, and there are different mechanisms for people to get businesses into their into their deal flow. Just same way yeah. we were looking for for leads. These businesses become a lead, and if they can, if they sign something in, in there that's attractive and gets to it before a broker, then that makes something really interesting for them. Um, you know, I, if I think about Alan, your, your question on Alan on this consulting type business, can you build it into something? I mean, if you think of Tony Robbins, Brendan Burchard, some of these big names. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. My point was he. My point yeah. was he hasn't. <laughs> He is, he's like, his whole thing is it's just me and I'm making loads of money. Whereas like Tony Robbins and Brendan, you know, Brendan Machado, like they, yeah, built great businesses. They are essentially yeah. the lead generators now and yeah. the high, and they do the high ticket stuff. Um, but they've built these ecosystems around them, which are fantastic. And, and, you know, cause they've written books, for example, they've actually, they actually systemized their personality because a book can style when you, whether you're there or not. So you can still be generating leads for your philosophies. Yeah. Even when you're not there. So I think those guys are textbook how to take a highly in-demand personality and turn that into a, an actual very valuable, scalable, sellable business. Yeah. So, so to conscious of time, can we finish with a, maybe a scenario? So let's say that you and I own a business. Um, we, we, we've been running it for a few years. We've got a team of 10. Um, we've got a few good clients, you know, we're making decent, decent money or coin as the kids would say. Um, and we're now staying right. Okay. We need to get, you know, we've had fun, we've made some money, but now we need to get kind of get a, get our asses into gear and make this thing ready potentially for a sale. We know it's got potential. Um, what are we going to think about? What's our kind of, I don't know, I'm going to write these things down and, and, and reel them back, but what, what do we want to think about? You know, okay, well, I, I want to make this business sellable. What do I need to start putting into place? Three, two, one, go. No pressure. <laughs> no, we, we spoke about the first one a little bit earlier, which is what's your number? So trying to, I, I think I'd start at taking a look at what that number is that you're looking for in the exit. So getting really clear on, on that. And that's probably the whole first step. Like, let's get clear on what we're actually wanting out of this exit. Yeah. Things like, um, you know, who do we want to sell to? Just thinking about staff and people. and so, so let's say that you and I were making 2 million at this point. We've got, we've got 2 million revenue turnover, um, total revenue. And we've got a team of 20, I don't know, you know, 20, 20, 20, 20 grand, 10, 20 grand. I can't do the maths. So revenue per person I'm thinking of, I'm going to embarrass myself trying to do quick maths on the uh, show, but yeah, let's say we've got a team of 10. So 2 million team of 10. I think that's a pretty healthy business, right? Um, and we want to, you and I like, right. We want to get out with, I don't know. I'm going to have to make numbers up now. We want to, we want to take 10 million. Each. We want to take 10 million each as we leave. What kind of plan will we have? And I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but what kind of, so it's we don't we don't want to get ten million each, and we we're gonna you know we've got two million in revenue at the moment, right? Is that what we said? Was it 
Oh, that was a bit of a jump, right? So, okay, I thought I said 20 million. So, yeah, all right. Well, let's, is that possible? So, let's go with that. Revenue, 20, 2 million 20. in um, profit. In profit. And let's say we, we're lucky we, we're kind of at a EBITDA four at the moment. It means we, we're potentially looking at 8 million, but we've got to share that between us, remember? So, yeah. for each. So, um, so the so the EBIT the EBITDA just for anybody that doesn't get that you know uh, we don't need to read after but um, earnings before interest tax, and amortization and the depreciation. So that's the actual profit essentially. Yeah. So it's, essentially, that's as, as you said, basically profit before tax depreciation, all those good things. So commonly, that's what's the what's looked at when you're thinking about selling a business. I know there are some times that that changes slightly, but commonly speaking in the selling a business language, it's the EBITDA that will be multiplied Better. by. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then, uh, all right. So, so there's, there's loads of things, but we get clear on that number and let's say we get clear and we, we want 10 million each. Yeah. And currently, you know, let's say at 5 million. So where do we find, each where do we find the so that so so we'd be so straight away it's like right we need to get to five million EBITDA yeah roughly with a two with a two times with a two times multiplier yes yeah, so we we could look at trying to raise the EBITDA by increasing the value of the business so one one of the mechanisms obviously how do we drive up sorry how how do we raise the EBITDA but how do we also raise the multiple so how do we become more profitable yeah how do we improve our cash flow yeah and then at the same time how do we drive up the multiple? So how do we make the business more attractive? So what you're saying is, is that the if you increase the value of the business, not in regards to potentially just how much revenue it's turning over, but how well it's put together, yeah. that starts to have a big impact on the multiplier, which is really interesting because you could really make significantly more money on your exit without having to make much if any more money because you just put in the systems in place to make this thing more systemizable in yeah theory. in theory so <laughs> is the business if the business is very reliant on us how do we build a leadership team that can run it okay so we need it so so what we're talking about now is making the business more valuable but not in regards to money as such but that will probably come from it but in regards to making it more robust and sellable so that it can to so the what somebody would be willing to pay for it is a higher multiple of what the EBITDA is. So one thing is have we got a good leadership team that isn't just Mike and John. Yeah. So can Mike and John disappear for three months and the whole business just carries on running. Love that. Can I can the leadership can the owners be away for three months? Then recurring revenue. So have we got strong flows of recurring revenue that kind of are you know, signed up on on contracts where we're getting regular flow revenue every single month. And that's, that's in so many different subscription sort of models from the stuff that we consume on television now to the way our raises get to, delivered in our houses to, I noticed the bet in Fulham the other day where they have a subscription model and you yep. pay an amount every month and you kind of bring your dog and cat in and you're covered to a certain amount that's outside of the medical aid thing. So yeah, there's a car washes in America now that you pay for and take your car as many times as you want because it's predictable. It's good for the business. It's good for the client. It's a win-win. I do some training with Russ Brunson and he's like the foundation of any good business now is subscription. And you've just got to figure out how to work that into your industry. My accountant, right? I don't pay them for my accounts at the end of the year. I pay them monthly. Monthly. Yeah. And yeah. um, so it's and, and quality recurring revenue. Yeah. 
So we've got our leadership team in place. We've got quality recurring revenue in place. I think the other key thing is that the business isn't over-dependent on to one staff member or one client. So in the case of customers, I would try and make sure that no customer makes up over 10% of our revenue. Yeah, I love I that. Good worth. I'm just like, make sure no single customer is more than 10% of revenue and that you're never over-reliant on sort of more than uh, two people. <laughs> you, you always have more, than, more than one yeah, person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, we've got a whole great team, but we're a software business and we want over-reliant on one senior developer or something. If that person leaves, the business is a problem. I've, I've been through that. Um, over-reliant on a, on a single technical person or a single salesperson those are two of the common ones I've seen. So make how sure do you think a potential acquirer would recognize that? What kind of how do, what kind of questions do you ask to find out if the business is over reliant on a member of staff? So it's going to come out through the due diligence phase where they start to interview different people on the team, and they might say, "Can we take a look at the, the organogram and who's this person?" They'll go through it and they'll do those interviews, and if they get a sense. There's, there's two things here. Like the first is going to be the conversation. Are, is your business over-reliant on anyone? Or is it, are you particularly dependent on anyone? And if we say, no, it's all good. And they get a sense during the due diligence that we are over-reliant on somebody. We're going to erode trust, which is immediately going to erode the whole value of the deal because they're going to turn around to us and say, well, we're not really comfortable about this. So what we're going to do yeah. is hold back something. You know, yeah. Maybe we can pay this later. If So there'll be these warranties and... Yeah, so if you leave and then so-and-so follows you and the whole thing falls apart, we're not stuck with a lemon. Yeah. So this is where it comes down to systemizing the business, right? Having SOPs in place so that even if even if your superstar admin person disappears, then somebody else could come in and relatively quickly do 70% what they could do just from following the SOPs. Exactly. And, you know, my... My daughter is 16 years old. She comes back from Itsu the first time and she says to me, hey, dad, look at this. Here's a book thing. And she flips it in and shows you exactly how to make like a sushi roll or whatever. You're behind the counter in McDonald's. You can put a, a teenager, 15, 16 in, and there's, here's the recipe. That's mm. how you do it. And you, you're not reliant on system, on people. You're reliant on the systems in place to support yeah. the people. Yeah. Particularly sales and marketing, that you have a steady flow of, new business so leads and i think for business owners this is a challenge if they're perfectionists because they're like it can only be done this way and if because because when you systemize a thing you are basically saying yeah we will drop a bit of the nuance that that person has in the way they do it in order to make it more scalable and more consistent but a lot of business owners struggle with that i know i've been there you know and you're like oh it's got to be me or it's got to be that person and 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 the problem is is that by doing that you're limiting how many people your business can impact because you're keeping it over-reliant on a person and you're keeping yourself stuck there. So anyway, that's a sidetrack. So yeah, so, and then really org chart slash accountability chart as uh, they like to talk about in traction. So, you know, if you haven't got that in place, whoever's buying your business or wants to is going to put it in place very quickly and, and, then, and use that to highlight any blazing or glaring errors, right? Yeah, you, you may keep, you know, you may keep... Um keep the fact that you're exiting from the majority of staff, but they're going to want to have a conversation with the leadership team. Yeah. So those kind of things are probably going to come out. You know, if you, 
you got to kind of see a game where you like you have your accountability like john and mike have got their accountability chart in front of them their org chart and we're like right so and so wants to buy this business but they're not going to buy it if you can't remove any one of those people from that org chart and it can still perform at pretty much the same level for three months because that would highlight again owner dependency or team team member dependency so how long would it take us to get somebody else in place and get them to, to for the team to cover them for a short period and somebody else to up and running and if it's like well it's just impossible because nothing's documented then well that's a problem right and it tells you what you need to do next and i think if you can get your leadership team excited about the possibility of going from you're selling the business and that there's this new opportunity for them and this goes back to the first thing about choosing who you might sell to yep you know if you care about your team then you probably want to make sure that they're going somewhere that they, they've got a future yeah. And I think if you bring them into that decision and you're working through that with them, then um, then it can go a lot smoother. That's a really good mindset tip as well, I think, because a lot of the owners that would struggle with this are going to be the owners that do think a lot about the people and less about the profit. So one of the barriers they're going to have to getting this stuff in place is like, oh, my team need me and why would they be motivated to do all this? So it's being able to communicate this in a way that is beneficial to them and exciting for them so exactly. that they can do this stuff. That's a really good tip. I like that because because yeah. the, the work I do with businesses, a lot of the time, it's like trying to get somebody that's really good at their job to systemize this thing. And they're like, well, why would I? <laughs> why would I? It's nice. It's nice that it's reliant on me. Um, you think of things like your NPS score, where you see these ratings all the time. Businesses with high NPS scores typically sell for much higher multiples. Are you talking employee or customer or both? Customer net promoter. And I think you you kind of hit on something there. Both the employee experience and the customer experience have a potential. You know, when you think about selling the business, you know, you're getting to the stage where you've got potential buyers coming in and into the office. You kind of want to wrap everything up so it looks exciting. You want them to come in there and feel like, wow, this could be mine. You know, the staff are happy, the place looks amazing. Yeah. You know, it's not paper and files and stuff disorganized everywhere. It's actually ready and nicely packaged. So there's this employee experience element to it which is tangible and then there's the customer experience side of things so we're using net promoter score and you'll very often see this on websites and places these days how likely are you to recommend us to a friend rate yep. us one to ten yep you kind of want to consistently be above eight on that yep. companies with higher net promoter scores very often will get a higher uh, multiple so do you, know, do you know what i love about this is that when you I mean, we come into, I come at business from a happiness perspective, right? Yeah. And that sounds like the woolliest thing in the world, but it's actually led to us being very specific and doing things like this because at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's relationships. And if you can create good relationships with the employees, good relationships with the customers, good relationship with the owner or the board and good relationship with the bank, <laughs> which is making enough money. Well, that that will work, right? If the customers are happy, the employees are happy, and the owner's happy. And I don't just mean, you know, lay on beanbags, not doing anything. I mean, genuinely working together in a growth-stimulating environment, achieving things, making a difference to people's lives, then you're onto a winner. And even when it comes to, you know, I love what you just said about, imagine somebody coming into your business to buy it, and you've got one that's messy, the staff are miserable, you know, it's making money because you're doing a thing in the market, but it's, you know, it's just crap. <laughs> And then you've got another one that's also in that market, maybe even making the same money at the moment, but you've got your culture, you've got your story on the wall. Everybody wants to be there. It's organized. It's neat. It's tidy. You know, that 
that's which one are they going to buy? And it's like the, the one that's that's more wrapped up. And I think that's really cool because sometimes I think as business owners and leaders, you find it hard to justify doing the stuff you know you should be doing, like looking after your team, really going above and beyond for your clients, you know, um, making the office the way you want it to be so that it's a nice stimulating work environment. Sometimes you struggle to justify that stuff yourself. But actually, if you think about it, well, it's going to increase the value of your business. Yeah. <laughs> uh you should be then it's kind of like okay we need to be doing this and give yourself give yourselves permission because i think people can get so bogged down in just making money and being being you know just float in the boat that they forget to do the important stuff and it creates downward spiral yeah you you what i and i think that sense of purpose that keeps everybody motivated and this is what we're trying to achieve and bring you know the happiness not, not just we... your employees, but your customers as well. You know, if you've got two, I, I'm obsessed with accountants today. I don't know why, but if you've got two accountants and one's just like, we'll do your books for you. We'll do this. It's this much a month. And then you've got another one that's, we're going to make your life better. We're going to go above and beyond. You're going to get really looked after by our team. We're going to take all the stress out of your tax. We're going to make your business grow by helping you become as tax efficient as possible at the moment. And then as profitable as possible. And we're going to take all the stress out of it so you actually enjoy looking at your books instead of getting stressed by it you kind of and 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 they're you know 100 percent more than the other one you're going to go to that one and more people are going to want to work there and the owner is going to be happy and and people it's going to be more attractive to buy and it's going to be harder to commoditize so you know it's giving yourself it's almost seeing this as a, I, I made this mistake with my first business right i had a huge vision for for a better it's called metabox and it was a great business it was a really good business we did really well and I had this huge vision and as I got stuck in and you know, you're naive when you do your first business and you, you think it's all just going to go swimmingly and you're going to make loads of money because you're passionate and you know, you go through the, you go through the challenges you realize oh, we're not charging enough and oh God, what do I do to attract new clients? And it's like, Oh, that costs more money than what I thought it did. And you realize that you think you need to get caught up. In. <laughs> yeah. You basically realize you need to make at least five times what you thought you did just to start paying yourself. So you go through all that stuff and it, and it, and it can drain you. And, and I let it drain me too much. And I got too bogged down in it. And what I did was I started to play down this vision I had to feel safer. I'm like, okay, well, that's what we could do, but that's effort. But actually we could just kind of do what they're doing and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And what, what happened was. Yeah. My, yeah really good point. Yeah. Could have become a franchise that business. And I still believe now if, if, if I went back in time now with the knowledge I've got now, and I did that business again, it'd be a franchise now. It'd be, it'd be, or, or we, you know, it'd at least be an affiliate kind of model. Um, but I played it down because I got burnt. I got my fingers burnt. I got tired and then tried to play it safe. And all that did actually in the long run was give me a short term breather. Cause I'm like, we're, we're playing it safe now, but in the medium to long run, like the business actually wasn't anywhere near as, as valuable as what it could have been. And I didn't enjoy it as much. And, so yeah, massive. I mean, you hit, it's so interesting. I spoke to a business owner last night. It was the same thing. He said, yeah, I, I did your, um, just a masterclass the other day. And I realized I wasn't thinking big enough, mm. but with that thinking big, we often sort of kind of, you know, the thing in the head starts going, oh, I can't really achieve this. And you yep. start winding backwards and winding backwards. Yep. What you're saying is so important that you've got that purpose and you, you've just got to be gritty about it. You've got to believe in it and you've got to have your team believe in it. And and that's quite difficult to kind of get the whole team to rally around it. But yeah, it's, it's, what, it's, it's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. It's getting everybody to rally around that. Okay. So we've got leadership team in place. Business owners can step away for at least three months. We've got good quality recurring revenue. We're not overly reliant on one single customer, which means 
not one single customer accounts for more than 10% of our income. Um, we're not over reliant on one team member. So again, means we could take somebody out, not literally take them out, but remove somebody from the business and be able to survive that and, and recover from that um, relatively, not easily, yeah. but but without to, without it crippling the business. Um, we've got good NPS from our customers. We've got good NPS from our employees or employee engagement. Probably employee retention would show up in there as well, I guess. And we've got a nice kind of unique brand slash culture you know the office is looking good people like working for us so those those are some things is there anything else that's kind of like i know I there's we more want to, we, want I know... Show, we want to show strong growth so you're going back to that question you had about multiples earlier you want to start i mean i let's say we hypothetically have been growing at around 20 percent and we've got more than 10 millions of sales and we have two million ebitda we're probably somewhere around that 3.84 uh, percent multiple at that point if we really want to take it to the next level we want to get our revenue up uh, i mean i we want to get our um sort of year-on-year growth probably showing somewhere around 30 percent upwards so we want to show real growth but not is that total revenue growth revenue sake thing. This, this is intentional growth and growth uh, to show are revenue. you talking to- total revenue growth there yeah cool so uh, so if you can get up to like 30 percent total revenue growth you're starting yeah, to so really working with customers on the scale upside and putting in uh, systems like metronomics. We we're looking to kind of go through a very difficult first year to get execution and cash right, build a strategy, but get them to a point where they're starting to see a 30% year on year growth, 30% plus. Yeah. And that's really important because that's that's sort of showing the acquirer this growth here. And does that does that growth need to be from new clients, or that can be from a combination of increasing average spend with our existing clients and new clients? I think it's a really good question. I think if you can demonstrate that there's good room for growth in many of your existing clients, but if you know, again, we're getting into the degree when you get to due diligence. If we took a look at it and said, well, what these guys have done is they've got thirty odd clients. What they've done over the last three years is really just kind of max them all out and the industry's sort of starting to turn that might but you know if we've got 100 clients and we've got that kind of mindset of growing adding new clients and growing into existing clients and that's a different so uh, so what so do you think that new client acquisition would be accounted for as well so are they adding new clients to the books every year as well so that we want to see that there's a good sales engine sales and marketing engine working some some brand recognition uh and we're adding new clients and we're adding we're, we're um closing new business and i think what, what's important as well is that we have a plan we can demonstrate that we've achieved that plan over the past three years and this is why it's so important to think about doing this now like if you and i were thinking what do we do three years you know in three years we want to sell for 10 million each at the moment we've maybe had four or five but Three years from now, we want to get to that 10. So let's clean everything up. Let's plan properly now. Let's start showing the growth. Let's put that leadership team in. So we've got a professional management team in place. Yeah. That's making us more attractive. And then we're going from like 3.84 to depending on what industry, you know, hypothetically 15%. It's very different. So now, now and we the, and this is vital, right, for the for you to do this. And it's it's vital that those people that are driving that. So in this in this hypothetical scenario, it's you and I are 
spending tons of time on strategy, right? It's like you you can no longer be the operator in the business. If you want to drive the value of this business, you've got to spend time on strategy because because anybody listening to this, even me, I'm like, you know, this is, the, you know, it's like, okay, well, have we got our culture down? Have we got a good leadership team in place? How much recurring revenue have we got? Are we, are we bringing in new clients? Have we got a really good lead generation system? Have we got a really good sales system that, you know, isn't reliant on on us going out and doing talks it's, it's it's linked to other stuff as well um have we got are we collecting employee data are we sharing that data are we collecting customer data and mps's is the culture looking neat you know so it's it's a lot of work right um and it actually to be like for me and you it's like exciting work because we're geeks and it's the kind of stuff we like but if you're stuck in the business doing the operations you you can't do all that and i think a big part of getting your business ready to sell it is and, and i'm no expert but i'm I'm just think a big part is getting yourself into the mindset that i'm not an operator in this business anymore i'm the grower of the value of this business and i need to give myself permission freedom and time to do that yeah moving from that owner operator to the professional management team i just want to we we're talking about what we need to do for a very big business but there, there could be a lot of smaller businesses out who are listening and saying well yeah i am only at the we turn over half a million or 800K or whatever. You don't want to be one of the statistics that 80% that never gets sold. I think even if you've got, if you're not at that kind of million mark, and let's say hypothetically you're in marketing or something like that, but you're insanely good at running paid media campaigns in a, in a niche, you mm -hmm. could build a lot of value in that business. Yep. And, you know, sell it and use it to go on to the next thing you want to do. Yeah. Or if you're 5 million in revenue and you've been doing it for 20 years, uh, I interviewed somebody the other days, Carl, who's at 20 years, kind of orthopedic stuff, well, arms and whatever, brilliant pe people in the team, but two of the team members walked in and said, Carl, you know, what's the future for us here? We, we're at around 5 million in revenue and whatever. And Carl put metronomics, put a system in, drove the business up to 8 million within a few years did an exit and the business went into a bigger business. Carl's now set for life. I mean, he's 70 odd, but he can relax and he's coaching himself. Uh, and sorry, Carl, if you're 60 odd, but there goes your testimonial. He's moving. So I also want to be sort of careful that. Yeah, I agree. You may not have a lot of juice left in the thing. And it's not to say that you've got to go out there and bam, 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 bam. Have a plan. Know what your number is if you want to retire on this thing. And then work to that plan. Yeah, um, even if it... Even, I, I love what you're getting out here. And I think may, maybe we should have included this earlier. But but um, I think that's so important because, you know, we're talking millions. And not everybody, not all business owners are that bothered by millions, you know. But they right. they, they want to... Half a million could be a life-changing amount or 200,000. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But if you just if you you know if you listen to those numbers and you're like no that's not me it's completely kind of on the different playing field i'm not on the same page but actually what you're getting at is like well your goal might and probably should be if you're not thinking that big just don't let your business be one that doesn't sell like it doesn't have to be huge but put these basic systems in place even in a smaller business and you can still make it attractive to a buyer and still make enough money to go and live a good life yeah exactly can the, can this thing run without me yes i can go away for three months and uh yeah I, I feel like you had a guest on your podcast the other day it was it was a fritz or somebody who was living in portugal somebody else bought the no no so so it's simon and karen that it's a simon and he portugal. bought the business he he bought the business off a guy called fritz who was living in portugal, portugal. 
Yeah. And it was something antique lighting, antique lighting, and it's a good story. Yeah, and they made it. He made this business. Uh, I think I think Simon's open about how much he paid for it. It was twenty years ago. They paid a hundred grand for it, and this guy was already yeah. like, you know, if you're retired already and you're in your sixties, he's actually passed away now, bless his soul. But if you, he'd already retired. He's in Portugal, so he's kind of running his business half time. Like a hundred grand when you're living in Portugal twenty years ago is it was a couple of houses. Yeah. A couple of houses and a little empire, yeah. And he, and he, yeah. and he, his business was basically, I think, three people in a tiny little shop. But but Simon and Karen could see the value in it because it had a good client base. There was a lot of knowledge in the team. Yes, it was over reliant on the team, but they were loyal, so they weren't going anywhere. And um, so yeah, I think that's a fantastic example. Actually, probably should have thought of that. <laughs> I, I was uh, listening to this. And I thought, yeah, this this is what the real yeah, this is what it's really about. There are so many small businesses out there and you know that that's really what that statistics all about is all of those folks have built these good businesses over the years yeah and trying to make sure that you know to me that when we started off that that's my purpose now is how do i make sure that or to as far as i can to make sure that other entrepreneurs don't kind of go through some of the things i did uh, yeah it's about giving something back now yeah fantastic and um where can where can people go to find out more about what you do and the services you offer? So I know you've got, obviously you're, you're, you're active on LinkedIn. Active on um, LinkedIn. And then we've got your website as well. Yeah. Those are two best places. I think all contact details are being on both. And both just shout out the name for the website, just in case anybody's like, doesn't want to read it in the show notes. JohnMoncrief.com. Such a good name. Uh, so <laughs> I just feel like, I feel like, if if you and I are in a room and we both have business cards and mine says Mike Jones and yours says Jean Moncleef, it's like, well, obviously I'm going to go with Jean because just listen to that name. Yeah. You can take MJ or JM. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's been that's been absolutely fantastic. My brain's hurting because we've gone through so much. I, I can kind yeah. of see that episode in in, in um, a few different categories, but I love that. I think the first two parts of, of the episode are really about why we need to do this, why it's important, you know, really getting the owner in the right mindset. But then that third part is just value on, well, how would you do it? Or how would you at least start to do it? And obviously anybody listening to this knows that you probably need to get some help with this. It's going to make it a lot easier. But I think, to be honest, even if you didn't, and you just implemented, you know, a focus on those areas that we've talked about, which I'll summarize in the notes, you're going to be ahead of probably 90% of businesses that never sell, right? Because just putting this basic stuff in place. So I'm doing it now. Start Don't doing it. it now. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time. I've got absolutely no doubt that that's going to be uh, full of value okay. for, for, for people listening. And I'll make sure that uh, all of John's details are in the show notes and you can connect with him through those notes and contact him as well. And obviously if you found today's episode useful please do like and share and let us know in the comments remember life and business are better happy and your business is going to make you happier if you can sell it at the end and not leave because of one of the five d's john thank you for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure